Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would come and, uh, Lord, bring your word to life. Lord, make us as eager to hear your word as the disciples on that mountain. Lord, speak to us. Show us who we are in you. And send us out in your power, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I I heard a joke the other day um, about two different time travelers. And they were sharing with one another about different years that they had uh, visited and things that they had experienced during that year. And one of the time travelers was saying, you know, 2020, 2020, that's got a good ring to it. I'd really like to go visit that year. And the other one said, trust me, I've been there, done it. You you can skip that year. Um, But seriously, though, this has been a really hard year. It's been a hard year for our world. It's been a hard year for our country. It's been a hard year for many, many of us, right? We have a global pandemic happening. There's all of this racial injustice. There's deep divisions in our country. And so we have to ask this question of what is Jesus calling us to do as his church, as his people? And secondly, is what Jesus is calling us to do going to make any big difference in the macro problems that we see in our world? And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we're going to be today, is that Jesus gives a really surprising answer to those questions. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew uh, Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. And today we're going to be uh, looking at the second part of the Sermon on the Mount. The first part, Jesus unpacked the character of what Christians are to be, our inner life, our character, and then he proceeds to share what how that influences how we're to live in the world that we're a part of. And just to let you know a little bit of where we're going, we're going to be looking at our purpose, which is who Jesus says we are, pitfalls, which is what keeps us from being who Jesus says we are, and finally the plan, how we are to live into who Jesus says we are. So our purpose, our pitfalls, and our plan. So let's begin with our purpose, who Jesus says that we are as Christians. He says in verse 13 and 14, You are the salt of the earth. And then he goes on and says, you are the light of the world. Now, in Greek, this tense is indicative. It's not imperative. He's not saying, go be the salt. Go be the light. He's actually saying, this is fact. This is what you are, church. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's what your identity is. And so, Many of us might be observing all the brokenness we're seeing in the world and we're saying, well, who am I and what do I have to offer? I'm nobody. And Jesus would say to you, that's a lie. No, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? What are those two things? And Jesus unpacks what both of them mean. And he does it by telling us who we are, but it also tells us, he also is telling us implicitly about the state of the world that we are in. And so the first thing is he says, you're the salt. And one of the main functions of salt was to be a preservative. So in the ancient Near East, they obviously didn't have refrigeration. So if you were to kill an animal and have meat, in order to preserve that, you would have to have salt. It was such an important thing. And so what he was saying is, we as Christians are meant to be preservatives in this world. Now, but what is he saying about the state of the world? What he's saying is, the world's in a place of death. It's rotting. 
It's going from worse to worse. It's putrefying. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying you Christians are meant to be salt, to bring preservative to the world. And then he also says light, that you are to be the light of the world. And so what is he saying about the world? He's saying that the world is in darkness. And so as bad as we think things are, the world is actually in a worse shape than we can imagine, if not for the grace of God and the presence of God's people. And this is important to remember, especially as we head into an election cycle, um, that the fallen world in rebellion to God cannot be fixed purely by man-made solutions. Right? We get our hopes up every single election cycle. And maybe this will be the person. Maybe the things will be made to right. But here's what Jesus is saying. This world's just not in a little bit of rough shape. It's dead and dark. And we have to have a solution that comes from God himself. Something from outside of this world that would step into this world. And we have that in Jesus Christ. In one verse, it summarizes who Jesus was. It says this, John 1 verse 4 says, In him was life. That Jesus wasn't just salt trying to preserve the dying world. No, he was life itself. And it says that, and the life was the light of men. And so Jesus is light itself. And so therefore, what we saw 2,000 years ago was that light itself and life itself stepped down into the darkness and death of this world. And in love for us, he died on that cross. And the, the most stunning and um, grabbing uh, picture that you can get of where the world was heading was the, was the tomb itself. That life itself, Jesus, who was life itself and who was light itself, lay in a tomb, dead, his body decaying, and in total darkness. And so the reality is that Jesus took our, on our punishment. Jesus took on the destiny in which the world was heading so that he could rescue us, so he could save us. And the beauty of the resurrection is this. That death could not hold him. That darkness could not overcome him. That Jesus has the victory because he is life itself and he is light itself. And so that's the identity that we're given in Christ. That's the flag that we fly as Christians is that he is the hope of the world. That he's the only thing that can set to right the world in which we find ourselves. But not only that, not only are we children of God, But we have this new identity where he says, now you, Christians, those who are under my banner, you are salt. You are light in the world. So that's our purpose. That's what we're called to be, first and foremost, that we are citizens of the kingdom, first and foremost. But then Jesus goes on in this passage to identify two different pitfalls that we can find as people who are to be salt and light in the world. So if you notice here, he says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so he's talking about two different dangers that we can fall into. So imagine kind of like a road with two different pitfalls on either side. This idea of being the salt of the earth, that we are to have influence over the world. 
But the, the biggest danger to the element of salt is that it can get um, contaminated. And as soon as salt gets contaminated, it loses its usefulness in the world. And in the same way, we as Christians lose our influence when we, trying to fit into the values of the world, veer over and say, you know, I'm just going to become like everybody else. Then as Christians, strangely, we lose our influence. We lose our ability to be a preservative in the world when we follow the values of the world. So that's the idea of assimilation, that our witness is compromised when we assimilate to the values of the world. But then the other ditch is this, where he talks about you have this light, but we can hide the light. And that's a lot of times we as Christians go to the other extreme. And in fear of being contaminated, we withdraw from the world. Or maybe the fear of being persecuted, we withdraw from the world. And we create this little Christian bubble. And so if one danger is, is assimilation to the values of the world, the other is, is isolation from those who wouldn't call themselves Christians. So we end up in this Christian bubble. And then again, we lose our influence. Nobody gets to see our light. And so where would you say you are? If you were to identify, if this is a spectrum, where would you say you are? What, what, is, what are you more challenged with? Do you, are you oftentimes tempted to just go along with the crowd? Or are you oftentimes tempted to separate yourself from the crowd? Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this amazing book called The Cost of Discipleship. And a big portion of the book is him unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. I would highly recommend it to you. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was living in a very unusual time. He was a German uh, Christian pastor and, and the rise of the Third Reich. And so he saw the Third Reich rising up. And he saw those two different things happening within the church. Some people who just assimilated to what was happening in the country. And so they became this nationalistic church. And they just went along with whatever the leaders were doing. But then he also saw that some church leaders were just, they were just trying to run away and pretend like, you know, just try to hide away and say, we're going to do underground church. And he was saying, no, you can't do that. You have to walk that line. You have to live in that tension. And so where are you in that tension right now? And my follow-up is Bonhoeffer says this, that the flight into the invisible is a denial of the call as Christians. That the community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. And so how do we avoid those pitfalls, you might be asking. Now we could really try to walk that tension perfectly. But my guess is if you talk to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or you talk to William Wilberforce, or you talk to Mother Teresa, somebody that was tempted by either of those two ways but seemed to walk in that tension so well, they wouldn't tell you about some strategy. They would tell you about Jesus. Because the way that we learn to walk like that is by investing in our relationship with Jesus. Because he perfectly embodied that. That Jesus was so utterly different than the world. And strangely, Jesus was, was so attractive to the world because he was so different. Yet, he didn't separate himself from the world. He was totally engaged. Totally engaged with the lost world. And so what I want to encourage you, if you find yourself veering to either side or vacillating from side to side, the most important thing you can do is to focus on your relationship with Jesus. He will equip you and empower you to walk with him. And when you begin to walk with him and walk like him, the world will take notice. So that's the pitfall. So we have our purpose to be salt and light. We have this pitfall that we can fall into on either side. But what about the plan? So how do we know if we're being salt and light in the world? 
Now, I want you to notice there's a couple words that, that are highlighted here that I think are significant to us having an understanding of what, if we're being salt and light. So this is, again, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, and if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. And so notice that word good. That to be the salt is meant to be for the good of the world. And then later he talks about the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. There it is again. And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And so the way that we're salt and light is by seeking the good of the world to serve the world and seeking it for the glory of God. For the good of the world and the glory of God. Those two things hand in hand. And so if we're just trying to be really good so everybody's like, wow, you're awesome. We love you. Then that's not really being salt and light. That's trying to attract people to yourself. But if you're seeking to do the good, good for the sake of the world and for the glory of God, then you're being salt and light. And the reality is that might not sound like much. It's not accidental that Jesus chose for his object lessons here to be salt and light. These are very ordinary, everyday, honestly kind of undervalued things that are absolutely indispensable to the life of the world. And I think that that's why Jesus chose them. Because he's trying to tell us that anytime you are doing any ordinary thing for the good of the world and the glory of God, you are being salt and light. I heard this quote recently from George Eliot. She wrote this amazing novel called Middlemarch. And in it she writes, For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Do you notice that? The idea of just living an ordinary life for the good of others and the glory of God. And this is one of my last Sundays at Grace. And so for the last few months, I've been reflecting on what I've seen in you as the people of God here at Grace. And I've been able to witness so many of you being salt and light in ways that you might think are just so ordinary, but that are absolutely preserving and bringing light to the world. Every time that I've seen you fighting to preserve your marriage and to put Jesus at the center of it, you're being salt and light. Every time that I've seen you struggling with how do I love my kids, how do I point them to Jesus, you are being salt and light. Every time that I've seen you care for those in our county or in another country, you are being salt and light. Every time I've seen you in small ways stand up for injustice or do the right thing, even when it might cost you, you are being salt and light. Every time I've seen you share your faith with somebody or invite somebody to church or invite somebody to Alpha, you are being salt and light. Right now, as a church, there's something significant happening. You might think it's kind of ordinary. It's just another year. But I think it's interesting that 2020, this year that um, seems like all of the ministry momentum has been sucked out, God is doing something spectacular. And it's a little bit like this. So imagine that you, uh, you find out you're pregnant or your wife is pregnant, and you go in to the doctor and uh, they're doing an ultrasound and they say, congratulations, you're having twins. 
That's kind of what ha- is happening right now at Grace Anglican Church, whether you realize it or not. Is that this year, this year where it seems like, what is God doing? You as a church are actually planting two different churches. You are sending salt and light across the river to St. John's County, and you're sending salt and light to New England to plant a church in Portland, Maine. It seems so ordinary, but what you are to Jesus is extraordinary. It's beautiful. And so don't underestimate yourself. Because Jesus doesn't underestimate you. You are the salt and light for the good of the world and the glory of God. And now we're going to go into a time where we're going to sing together. Um, And this song is going to be unfamiliar to you. And so I want to just encourage you to to let um, the band sing it over you. Let Jesus sing it over you. And as as they're leading us, I want you to be praying that what is one area in your life, some person in your life, some, some thing that you see in the world that you're like, God, come bring your light and life here. I want, to, I want you to pray over that area. And then I just want you to listen. If there's any small way that he wants you to be just an ordinary piece of salt, an ordinary light for the good of the world and the glory of God. So let's pray together. Lord, we just pray that you would come. Lord, we thank you for being our life and our light. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.